Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Accelerating Texas K-12 Education. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall, and we are so glad that you found us on today's episode. The goal of these podcasts is to really dive into what's working right now and how can we better equip our administrators and our educators to really do the job necessary in the coming months, the coming years of accelerating Texas K-12 education. And we couldn't be more excited for today's guest. We have with us Scott Murray, the superintendent at Ector County ISD. Scott, how are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. It's going to be a warm day in Ector County, so I'm enjoying the cool air conditioning right now. Perfect. Well, we'll keep you in the cool air as long as we can because we've got a lot of ground to cover um, because Ector County is, for anyone in our audience that doesn't already know, a leader in the state in a number of uh, initiatives. And so before we dive into uh, today's topic of leadership uh, building in your district, give our audience just a little bit of background in case there's anyone not familiar. Who is Scott Murray and what uh, do you love about what you do? Yeah, so Scott Murray, uh, a lifelong educator, started as a teacher. I was a math science teacher at the middle school, high school levels, uh, and then moved into administration. So served as a a dean, an assistant principal, principal, um, chief information officer, deputy superintendent, and then this is my second superintendency. And there have been a variety of areas. I I was in North Carolina. I worked for Disney for 11 years, opened a school there, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, Houston, Texas, and now in uh, West Texas, so the city of Odessa, Ector County ISD, uh, and love being a superintendent, love this work, love serving uh, kids, staff, and communities. I love it, and uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you uh, this year, and I can't wait for this conversation, so let's dive right in. Um, We want to start because there's so many areas we want to go into with an overview uh, you've built uh, with your team there in Hector County, an amazing uh, kind of leadership document, a leadership plan uh, that we're going to connect in the show notes uh, for everyone uh, to see. But walk us through the key components of that document, and then we'll start to dive into each area and hopefully give some real inspiration to our audience. Sure. So I came to Hector County ISD in July of 2019, and, and one of the uh, things that a good leader does uh, when you enter a new opportunity is to listen. Um, and so we spent you know, three months listening and learning about our, our system, our kids, our staff, our community. And, um, and, and so that learning opportunity was enlightening and then it helped shape and inform uh, the strategic plan uh, that, that we developed. And so after that period of looking, listening and learning, we pulled a group of community stakeholders together to analyze uh, all of it that I had heard and, and seen in, in those first 100 days. And then, uh, so our strategic plan is really our, our pathway forward. Academically, the school district was suffering mightily. Uh, we, were, we were just not serving kids well in this community. And so that gave us a strong why we have to improve. Uh, we also had significant uh, staffing issues uh, we had we started the school year in 2019 with 356 teacher vacancies. That represents 18% of our teacher workforce that wasn't present on the first day of school. In fact, they didn't join us the entire school year. And so building human capital was a, a, a critical need for us. Um, and then just the, our overall foundation, we knew that we needed to have uh, be on solid footing. Um, and so just making sure that we were doing the basic work of a school system really well. Um, so developed a strategic plan, uh, which helps us focus our energy 
Uh, and our strategic plan has three uh, themes, three kind of bodies of work. One is investing in a foundation, we call it foundational excellence, which is ensuring that uh, the foundation on which we build is solid. It has all the right parts and pieces and, and they're all working together uh, well. The second area uh, was about talent and we knew, to, knew that we needed to improve uh, the level and quality of talent in our organization. And so a significant investment there. And then the third part of our strategic plan is our learning journey, focusing on our kids. Learning today in 2022 is, uh, should be different. It should look different uh, than it did you know, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And our opportunity was to think about the learning needs of our kids. And so those are the three elements of our strategic plan. And that has been driving our work for the last two and a half years. And I have to ask, uh, this was built in 2018, 2019. What time frame did you start? So 2019, 20. The interesting thing, and this is how the pandemic uh, kind of plays in here. Uh, we uh, started Look, Listen, Learn in, in 2019, uh, started building that plan. And then in 20, in March of 2022, we had scheduled the public launch, this big unveiling, a large event. We could bring the whole community together. And the week before the event, the pandemic shut us down. And so that event was canceled. And so our strategic plan, while it has driven our work, it was never launched in our community uh, the way that, that we had hoped to do that because of the pandemic. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a different experience. But March of 2020 was the official launch, if you will, although it was a pretty quiet launch. Well, and I have to ask, were there changes made based on the, the pandemic coming or were you kind of unknowingly ahead of the curve in some of these foundational components, just kind of maybe tweaking the execution? I'd say yes and yes. Uh, yes, we were. We made change. Uh, uh, adjustments but i think that's part of a strategic plan you know i i i believe in in solid planning and a strategic plan should be a guide for a system it is not something that you do and stick it on a shelf and five years later you do another one uh, to me a strategic plan is a living breathing document that drives the work forward and regardless of the pandemic uh, situations in the school system are constantly ebbing and flowing and changing and, and so that body of work should always be reflective of the current needs of the organization. And then the pandemic, of course, help, we had to shift some things. So uh, the, probably the best example is technology. Our investments in technology that we had planned on implementing over three or four years, uh, we did a lot of that work in year one uh, because the pandemic required that we um, kind of shift our attention uh, to some critical need areas. And technology was one of those. And, and that's where I was going with that question. It seems like if you have that strategic plan, then you weren't scrambling to go, oh, what are we gonna do? You just accelerate it. Uh, and that, again, that's, that's exactly what right. we, yeah, yeah and, and that's what we love to hear on this Accelerating Texas K-12 podcast. Um, so let's dive into to each uh, section then, starting with the foundational excellence. Why is that first? And give us some, some tangible examples of um, how that plan has rolled out over the last couple of years. Yep. So uh, just like a, a, a good contractor, when you're building a, a facility, uh, whether a home or a large you know, skyscraper, the foundation is the most important part um, in the building process. And it really is the same scenario when you're building a school system. Um, those foundational fundamental pieces uh, that are consistent in 
in any healthy organization uh, must be in place before we can go vertical. And uh, an example of that, um, I would lift up social emotional learning. So we, we, we deal with human beings and the pandemic, again, is one of those uh, factors that happened that helped us realize we need to provide a significant level of support uh, for our children and our staff members. And so we have made significant investments in the social emotional well-being um, of our adults and our children. Um, and that was part of our foundation uh, of facilities. We had conducted a facility review study. We needed to understand our, our buildings and the environments that our teachers uh, teach and our students learn, and, and they had to be in good shape. So that was part of our foundation. Uh, we feel that uh, good nutrition is important. And so we now feed all of our children breakfast and lunch free of charge every single day. Uh, that was a body of work for us. Technology is foundational. We believe that every student needs their own device. We believe that every child in their home needs access to high-speed affordable broadband. So that, you know, that's an ex or several examples of just having a solid foundation that must be in place in order for us to go vertical. I love it. And some of those things sound easy, but are very difficult to execute on. But I, I do uh, really appreciate that that's the, the, the place to start. Uh, now, one that's even more uh, tricky uh, and hard to execute on is number two, uh, talking about talent, talking about human capital. Of course, our audience is well aware that there are teacher shortages. There's a, a great resignation going on in many industries and, and education is getting hit harder than most. Um, I, I want to spend some significant time here because you've really done some innovative things that I think will help give our audience uh, some ideas and some frameworks that uh, hopefully that they can take with them into their sure. districts. So talent was a huge area of investment for us. Uh, again, I'll go back and, and remind everybody, you know, 356 vacancies on the first day of school in July or in August of 2019. And today we have 50 vacancies. Uh, that is still 50 vacancies too many, but it, it does not compare to where we were. And we were in that place for several years, which meant that our students um, thousands of kids had substitute teachers every single day, a revolving door of subs for not just one year, but for several years in a row. And that was unacceptable. And so our investment in, in, in people is different. So we, we're taking a, a really broad strategic approach. There isn't one single solution to the uh, staffing the crisis that we face in public education today. So our approach has been very broad. A um, couple of things I'll lift up. One is just basic compensation. The thing that the the component that that many school districts do, you know, providing uh, raises uh, for teachers, we've uh, and and other staff member, making sure that we are keeping pace uh, with the economy, with the environment, to make sure that we are highly competitive. Today, uh, we are the highest paying. Uh, district in our entire region from a teacher perspective, and so thrilled uh, that we can provide that level of compensation. But that did not happen uh, overnight. That happened over time. Uh, that we have literally just uh, this week we became that, and so we've been on this journey to improve basic compensation. We also, from an hourly perspective, our hourly employees for the first time ever, our our minimum wage is now fifteen dollars. That's a five dollar increase in just two years. But again, we knew from a personnel perspective that investing in compensation is important. Um, and then we, uh, so separate apart from basic compensation, we then looked at strategic compensation. And so how can you target 
dollars to uh, specific groups or individuals within your organization that, uh, in your words, accelerate the work of the organization. So today is a wonderful day in ECISD specifically. So I'm wearing the, the celebration tie because right after this podcast, I get to go deliver over $850,000 to 120 teachers in our district. And they're receiving this money because they have accelerated the growth of students, that these teachers have grown students more in reading and mathematics than any other teachers in our system. And so today, as a part of the Texas, it's the Teacher Incentive Allotment Program, will be uh, awarding over $850,000 to these teachers today. And so we printed these really large checks and we get to deliver them to teacher today. And I know that uh, we're going to have some happy faces, probably tears of joy on many of these teachers. Um, we also do other things. We uh, target our highest need campuses and we pay teachers and leaders that work in those high need campuses more money. Um, so more money uh, for supporting kids that need uh, them the most. And then other targeted initiatives that we have in ECISD, again, that target dollars to specific types of individuals or specific groups. Uh, pipelines, we have invested significantly in developing talent. Interesting st statistic, 60% of teachers in the United States teach within 25 miles from the high school from which they graduated. Um, so in our system, that means that the majority of our teachers, our future teachers, are actually sitting in our schools today. And so we've developed pipelines from middle school and high school into college. Uh, in our community, kids can now go to college free of charge. Our community college has announced that you can attend uh, their, their college and earn your AA or AS degree free of charge. And then our local uh, UT campus, University of Texas at Permian Basin, has announced that any student whose family makes less than $100,000 a year can also attend free of charge. So we have a teacher pipeline uh, that literally allows students uh, to attend college and receive their degree free of charge and then teach in our own system. Uh, we have a variety of pipelines. We take uh, individuals who have a bachelor's degree, we transition them into the profession as well. Uh, ECISD is one of three school districts in Texas that operates our own uh, educator preparation program. And for short, it's EPP for short in Texas, uh, Dallas, Houston, and ECISD. We each operate our own program so we can actually certify uh, teachers. So pipelines, lots of pipelines to develop staff. Uh, in addition to our investments, we're developing existing employees. Uh, we have created what we call personalized professional learning. We have 4,200 employees that do a variety of different things in our organization. So we develop their capacity. We provide mentors We believe in coaching. We believe that everyone deserves a coach. And so we provide that uh, for individuals as well. And the last thing that I would lift up, kind of going back to teachers, is we're thinking differently about our roles. We have redefined the role of a teacher. Uh, we now have, uh, through a program we called Opportunity Culture, we have uh, created uh, several new uh, teaching roles. One is called a master classroom leader. This is a teacher that teaches half a day and they spend the other half of their day uh, coaching their colleagues and peers. They receive $17,000 in additional compensation. Um, and that has really, in my opinion, forever changed the role of the teacher. Our teachers no longer need to leave the classroom to make more money. Uh, these individuals actually make more money than assistant principals do. Um, so they don't need to leave the classroom to lead. 
You can have those leadership positions while in the classroom. So lots of uh, energy spent on developing our uh, talent in ECISD. It's a critical need, and uh, we have a broad approach uh, to doing that work. That is amazing, and I have so many follow-up questions. So indulge <laughs> me for a few more minutes because I really it. believe our audience, this is such a pain point. Um, first of all, I love the, the pipeline of uh, you know students. You have a captive audience right there of potential teachers within your district classrooms. Yeah. Um, that That's an amazing opportunity to, to not just uh, know that X amount of those will come back, but to be very intentional with them. Okay, so I want to dive a little deeper into the teacher allotment funding. Um, is that something that is available statewide? Is that something that most districts are already doing? Or what advice would you have for district leaders to really tap into uh, that resource moving forward? Certainly. So the state legislature several years ago approved a pot of money at the state level uh, called the teacher incentive allotment. The purpose of it is to recognize and reward uh, teachers throughout the state of Texas that are growing students at the fastest rate possible. And so it recognized the top 15% of, of, of teachers uh, in, in the state of Texas. However, a school district uh, needs to kind of go through a process to have those teachers uh, receive that, that level of, of award. Um, and so ECISD right now, we're the only district in our region uh, that is, has gone through that process. So uh, we'll be first. There are other districts throughout the state that are doing this work. Um, and more and more districts are adding this opportunity. I think it took a little, anytime there's something new, you know, you always have your folks that 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 uh, jump quickly and tap into new and innovative opportunities. And then you have your fence sitters that kind of watch to see um, and I think right now the fence sitters are seeing that, ooh, this is a great opportunity for folks. Uh, the Texas Education Agency has the information on this. And so I would encourage anybody who's interested uh, to reach out to TEA to find out more information about the teacher incentive allotment. Um, it is a, a body of work. We've been, we started this work in October of 2019. And this month is the first month that we will be giving money to teachers. So it has taken us over two years to get to this place. But the work has to be done right and it has to be done well before you can really take advantage of that, that kind of funding. But at the end of the day today, uh, we're, we are recognizing and honoring our, our most effective teachers in a very profound way. When I get to give $20,000 to a single teacher today, you know, that it'll, it'll change, you know, they'll be able to do things that they haven't been able to do uh, before. And so we're, we're excited about the opportunity. I mean, that is life-changing uh, dollar amounts and well-earned, right? Uh, so oh. many of our teachers more than deserve that. Um, so I, I think the takeaway for the audience is do the work. It, it may take a year or two yeah. to, to put in place uh, properly, but that's still something that you can probably talk about with your a district with your teachers Absolutely. as that process is ongoing yeah. to, to incentivize yeah. them as well. And it also incentivizes teachers to serve our most fragile students uh, because the teachers that earn the most money are not just the teachers that are growing children the most, but it's also teachers that have chosen uh, to work in schools that have the highest level of poverty. And so today, the teachers in our system that will receive the most money serve our highest needs population um, and which is incredibly challenging and they've taken on that opportunity. So it'll be nice again to recognize them for serving our most fragile children and doing it really well. I love it. And so many of them would do it without the money, as you know, almost oh, sure. all of them, because this yeah. is their calling. Yeah. But it is really nice to, uh, again, keep them engaged in the profession uh, with that 
that that well-deserved compensation. Absolutely. Um, the last point I want to touch on, and we'll move on to number three, uh, the learning journey. But I really love what you said about being um, creative and innovative with redefining the role of the teacher. Um, and uh, so many um, districts are kind of grappling with what is the, the role of the teacher. And, and I like that you don't just have one, oh, well, we've pivoted from a sage on a stage to a guide or something like that, that you've had multiple, um, you know, additional leadership opportunities and things mm -hmm. to recognize because every teacher has different strengths as well. And so talk to us a little bit about um, uh, this is really practicing what we are preaching in education, which often is telling students, you need to be a continuous learner, a lifelong learner, sure. but we yeah. haven't always practiced that, you know, in the classroom, a teacher may say, I've done it this way for decades. Why should I change it? Um, so talk about that kind of uh, uh, that motivation to innovate and get teachers on board with uh, innovating and evolving with the profession and continuing to learn as well. Yeah. So this body of work, we call it opportunity culture, and it, it's allowed us to think differently about that traditional role of, of teacher. And I, I, I could put myself in this situation. I remember I, I taught for eight years and and I uh, after I taught, I became an administrator. One of the reasons was uh, that I was seeking more money. I mean, in the classroom, you you desire to have a greater income, but sometimes you're very limited by the you know fairly small increases, the incremental increases in, in teacher compensation. And another thing is, I wanted to spread my wings a little bit and lead, um, and and that was another reason to leave. And and so we have many teachers that that feel the same way. Um, and opportunity culture has given us a chance to, again, redesign that traditional role, but also be very thoughtful in, in some other roles and, and, and how we could put this together to ultimately benefit kids. So today in our system, we have uh, actually, we know that it's a little over 14,000 kids uh, that are directly impacted by opportunity culture teachers. So they are now we have more kids that have access to our most effective teachers because of this body of work. So again, an opportunity that uh, we call it a master classroom leader. They teach half a day and they coach the other half of their day. So they're raising the level of competency of their peers. Uh, we have another role we call team reach teacher. It is the teacher who has agreed uh, to take on more students. So rather than you know that typical class size of 25, they say, hey, I'll take on 35 or 40 kids. Uh, we pay that person $15,000 more per year to take on that role, and we give that person an assistant. So they have a, either a paraprofessional, or the neater thing is they have a teacher resident. Uh, so in conjunction with our local university, we now have um, full-time teacher residents that are in their senior year of teaching. And so it, it, the, the educator, we might all remember our student teaching experience. So we're spending our senior year of college uh, for about 10 or 15 weeks in with a, a teacher on a campus kind of learning the craft, if you will. Well, we have a program now in which we actually we pay those individuals uh, to work for us their, their entire senior year. So these are college students, college seniors. They come to work for ECISD their entire senior year. Uh, they're paid a pretty significant amount of money uh, and they are in the classrooms of that team reach teacher. So a teacher that we have identified as one of our best we have a full-time resident that is learning the craft of teaching from one of our very best. And then the opportunities for that teacher resident to become a full-time teacher with ECISD. And we've already seen through this work that our teacher residents are much more prepared to be first-year teachers and be successful. 
than teachers that come from other programs. Um, so we're excited about that body of work. But yes, we must think broadly about the role of teacher um, as our world continues to evolve. And we haven't changed that role in, in many years. You know, one of my favorite analogies is, you know, you could take a doctor from 50 years ago and drop him in a hospital today and they wouldn't know what to do. But you could take a teacher from 50 years ago and drop him in a classroom and they would know exactly what to do. Um, shame on us for not evolving the profession. And so now we have an opportunity to think more broadly and to change the profession and improve it into something that it should be. And all that ties back into building the, the pipeline uh, for the future uh, teachers as well. So yep. I, I could go another 30 minutes in this topic, and we're going to have to have you back on next uh, fall sure. uh, to, to dive in more on that. But I want to move move on to number three, uh, the yep. learning journey, because there's some really innovative and, and exciting things here to cover. Um, but I'll let you kind of start and uh, let our audience know what are the key components to uh, to the learning journey as you see it. Yeah, so the learning journey for us is all about the learning of our kids, which we which also has to be different today. A child learning in 2022 is should not learning should not look the way it did in 1950. Um, and so one of the primary areas of focus for us is blended learning. Blended is when you take the, the best of teaching, face-to-face -face learning, if you will, and you mix it or blend it with virtual learning. And we are uh, expanding the level of blended learning in ECISD. So one of our foundational excellence pieces was purchasing a learning management system. We now have a learning management system, which basically is a, an online environment in which our teachers can um, upload their uh, content. All of our curriculum resources are in that learning management system. And then students can access their courses in that learning management system. So all of their curricular resources, uh, they can upload assignments, download assignments, they can collaborate with each other, they can communicate with their teacher, et cetera. So that foundational piece was put in place. And then now through blended learning, our teachers uh, can use that tool uh, to support the learning of kids. And it allows our teachers to personalize learning much more effectively to meet individual needs. And that's been a real win uh, for our teachers. Many of us have probably sat in that classroom in which uh, the teacher um, taught us something that we already knew how to do. And, um, and this environment allows us to kind of know and understand what the child knows and understands so that we can move on and teach them things that, that they need to teach. So we're excited about blended learning. The pandemic brought a new opportunity for us. Uh, speaking of acceleration, um, we, we recognize that our kids suffered mightily uh, in the area of, of academics, specifically reading and mathematics. We saw some significant declines um, from 2019 into 2020 and 21. And uh, we, uh, one of the primary strategies that we had hoped to leverage was tutoring, because we know based upon great research that a one-on-one -on -one tutor uh, can really accelerate the learning of children. And we needed to use that to recover from the pandemic. The problem we faced was, well, I don't have tutors in our community that are readily accessible. And, um, and so we scratched our heads a little bit, and then we recognized, hey, all of our kids have the technology, we're well-equipped as an organization, and so we reached out to some virtual tutoring companies um, and used a, a strategy called outcomes-based contracting with them. We wanted to hold those tutoring companies accountable uh, for growing our kids. And so we started with a pilot in 2020 uh, and the 2020-21 school year started at one of our middle schools, working with one a virtual tutor. 
Uh, we signed a contract with them that said, basically, we'll pay you based upon the amount of growth that our students experience. At the end of that year, we were uh, overwhelmed with the amount of growth that kids experience through that virtual tutoring environment. And today we have 6,000 students uh, that are now experiencing uh, virtual tutoring at the elementary, middle school, and high school level. We have four different virtual tutoring companies that we partner with today. And each of those companies uh, is contracted through a, an outcomes-based contract. Again, they earn their money based upon the amount of growth or progress that kids make uh, during the year. And so we've seen significant improvement uh, from the kids that are participating in that program. And that is something, uh, really an innovation that we will hold on to for years to come because it makes sense for us. Uh, we can bring in tutors from all over the country uh, to support our kids that are here in the city of Odessa and Ector County. And we, we, we would not have this opportunity had, had it not been for our, the investments in technology and the outcomes-based nature of, of this body of work. And I have to ask, does that relate directly to House Bill 4545 or is it um, are there different programs with the tutoring to meet different situations uh, that are in need of tutoring one-on-one? Yeah, so this is one of those opportunities that we had started on before House Bill 4545 came to fruition. Uh, we were already traveling down this virtual tutoring pathway, and then 45, the requirements of 4545 uh, became real to us. And so it, it is. Virtual tutoring is one of the strategies that we're using uh, to leverage that opportunity. Another strategy is, um, you know, ma many of us over the last many years have experienced something called summer school, this ineffective uh, tool that we have used for years in the United States that has zero research that said it, it's effective, but yet we continue to do it. Um, and so we eliminated summer school and we have replaced it with something we called summer learning. It is a highly engaging uh, STEM-based experience that kids have throughout the summer. And our summer learning has gone from 1,500 kids, which was summer school, uh, to our first year of summer learning, we had 6,000 students. And then this summer, we anticipate 8,000 students, um, elementary, middle, high school, participating in summer learning, which again is a highly engaging um, STEM-based experience throughout the month of June and July uh, that kids uh, can, uh, can, 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 it's really summer camp, and if you will, and, and they love it. And uh, the learning, we, we monitor the learning throughout the summer. We saw great results last summer and expect to see the same thing uh, again this summer. So again, that kind of significant change has been important for us. And I can only imagine uh, listeners writing down summer school to summer learning to summer uh, you know, transformation. Uh, that's, if you can do that, that's amazing because I know when I was in school and many others, summer school was not something to look forward to. It was uh, almost a, a punishment. It felt like it was boring. And so that's, that's uh, really exciting. And there's another program that I'll lift up that, that, again, other school districts in Texas can take advantage of, and that's the additional day school year program. So ADSY, uh, the state of Texas will fund summer learning uh, primarily for elementary students um, with, with some parameters. The, the school system has to be uh, provide 180 days of, of learning for kids during the school year. And so we do that as an organization, and that allows us to tap into some really, to really millions of dollars in funding uh, to extend summer learning. And so we, we, our elementary kids can now go to school for 210 days a year um, and because of the of ADSY, again, additional day school year funding provided by our state legislature that any school district in Texas can take advantage of to extend learning throughout the summer months. 
I love it. And it sounds like that is one of your keys to success, maybe in the foundation is it seems like you've really got your ear down to the ground on these state programs and really trying to maximize and take advantage of, uh, you know, every possible uh, funding source and, and program. What advice on that front would you have for other administrators to, uh, or what maybe it was another uh, hidden gem or two of uh, funding sources that they may not be tapping into now? Yeah, so I, I think d- definitely keeping our, our eyes and ears open for opportunity and not only from the superintendent, but your team, you know, make sure your teams are paying attention to, uh, you know, legislation that is, is passed opportunities through the Texas Education Agency or, or other entities throughout the state opportunities abound uh, in public education, we just have to uh, be attuned to those. Uh, but I think even above that, it's about strategy. There are a lot of free things and a lot of opportunities in, in our world, um, but and we can be overwhelmed with that. In fact, it, our daily email, you know, provide, there are lots of opportunities that, that come to us daily, but you must have a clear strategy and stay focused on that strategy. So I'll go back to our strategic plan. We do not uh, pick up and accumulate shiny things um, unless it is in direct alignment with our strategic plan. That's a critical piece for us. So the tools, the additional day school year program, the teacher incentive allotment, et cetera, these um, tools and resources that we have brought aboard our organization over the last several years are in complete alignment with the work that we're doing organizationally. And when you take these disparate pieces and put them together uh, to assist, to really accelerate your strategy, you know, that's when kids win. Um, and so that's probably the greatest piece of advice I would give is, is be very focused on your strategy and then find those bodies of work or those opportunities that support your strategy or accelerate your strategy. And that's ESSER money. You know, right now, every school district has access to federal ESSER dollars. And and so we've been able to leverage those dollars not to do necessarily different things, but to accelerate the work of our strategic plan. If you look at our ESSER investments, you will see our strategic plan tied to every single investment that we've made with those dollars. Uh, the virtual tutoring is an example. Uh, that's $12 million in virtual tutoring for the next three years that is fully paid uh, through those ESSER dollars. And so much of the strategic plan also is being able to say no to things that don't fall into it because it is very easy to collect shiny things. I was just on a panel recently talking about uh, the great audit of all of the uh, tools that a district use. Uh, research just came out, 1,500 plus pieces of software and technology is an average number for a district, and there's not enough yeah. time in the day to, to use all this. So exactly. um, amazingly enough, yeah. I think my advice would be to audit what you're doing. Um, and, and maybe that's something that uh, before the strategic plan out, were there things that you did cut that were pre-existing that didn't fall into the new strategic plan? Yeah, so we, we've had to do that. It's funny, we, we have actually have a shedding tool that we use um, it's a document that I was introduced to in my days with Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools uh, when, when I was a part of the team that entered that school district. And we we saw, I remember the number 72, there were 72 programs in the district, uh, initiatives, if you will, that were happening when we arrived. And there was, and no one could tell us if any of those things were effective or not. It's just things that people were doing or bodies of work and no research and no accountability. Um, and so one of the investments that we have made internally is, is conducting research to know, because I don't want to shed anything that is effective, but I have to know if it is effective. And so we spend time conducting research. 
best example that I would give you is uh, that we uh, partnered with Texas Tech University uh, to conduct a research study, and it is an ongoing study on our opportunity culture work. So the, uh, the, the new teacher designs that we've developed, we want to make sure that kids are growing and learning in that environment. And so we partnered with Texas Tech year one. Uh, last summer, they came and presented to our board of trustees their year one findings. And the researcher said, he said, I've been doing research for 30 years, and this is the first time I can stand before a board of trustees and say, we could find no flaw. That's the kind of research that you want. Um, yep. and, and those are initiatives that you continue. But then other research says these are things that need to be shed. It is not effective. Sometimes it's not maybe shedding it. It could just be that you need to tweak it or adjust it. Uh, but then other times it's just not something that needs to continue in your organization. So we, we got rid of um, long-term long subs. That was one thing that, that we eliminated pretty quickly. So this district had a practice of hiring substitute teachers and keeping them for long periods of time, years, not just a week or two, but years. And so we eliminated that in year one. It was not effective. Kids do not deserve to have a substitute teacher for years. And so that was eliminated, scared people to death because how are we going to fill them? But we've managed to uh, to do pretty well uh, in the last two and a half years. I love it. All right. We're just about to the end of our time. And there's one uh topic area that I've uh, wanted to discuss the whole time by Save the Best for Last. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, your partnership with SpaceX oh, sure. and how did that come to be and um, uh, can other districts, you know, what, what advice would you have to innovate in ways that this uh, probably wasn't something from the TEA, this is probably something that you uh, went out and, uh, and found above and beyond uh, everything we've already talked about. Um, so give us a little background and uh, a little bit of, uh, you know, how other districts could emulate, not just with SpaceX, but similar um, uh, out-of-the-box partnerships. Yeah, so it starts with a strong why. Um, and the pandemic in uh, March, that started in March of 2020 uh, really helped us develop that strong why. And that was we realized that 39% of our students either didn't have internet access in their home or they had marginalized internet access. It was of such low quality that it was of no value to them. They couldn't connect with teachers, et cetera. And so we did what most districts did pretty quickly. We you know, figured out how could, what are some temporary short-term solutions that we could put in place and you know, hotspots and you know, Wi-Fi buses, blah, 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 all those things that, that many school districts did. Um, but, but none of that is long-term. That's all short-term stuff. Um, and so we needed to play the long game. So what is a long-term solution and what are, what are our greatest challenges? We conducted a landscape study of every a home in Ector County to understand the level of access that each home had in our own community, not just our school system, but, but every house, every dwelling. And we quickly realized that we have pockets of our community that it didn't matter if we gave them a hotspot, there is no option. They, they live in a location that is so remote that they simply have zero options. Not even a cell phone works you know, in, in their area. Um, and so that meant that we needed to look very differently um, for a solution. And so that took our heads upward and, uh, and, and looked in, in the satellite. So Elon Musk and SpaceX was piloting um, a new technology called Starlink, which provided high-speed broadband service through low-latency uh, satellites uh, to homes. But they were focused in the northern part of the United States and southern Canada, so kind of along the, the northern border of the U.S., 
well, Texas isn't on the northern border, but uh, we made the ask and the answer was a pretty quick yes, we would be happy to do that. And so they launched satellites uh, that are now hovering um, over uh, some areas of Ector County. And we targeted a very specific population of students. Um, and then we have provided um, to these families free of charge, a high speed uh, broadband through SpaceX Starlink satellite technology. Um, and I've learned a lot through that process. And it's been uh, probably one of the most interesting stories uh, was a dad um, who had three kids in, in, in their home and they lived in the Pleasant Farms community. And they asked the father before they installed the, the SpaceX tool uh, to uh, do a speed test on his cell phone. And so he pulled out and did a speed test and was a whopping six megabits of download uh, speed per second. Um, and when you have three children in your home, th that, is, that is not something that is healthy. Um, but they, within 20 minutes, their SpaceX, their Starlink satellite was up and running and they did another speed test. It was over 300 megabits per second of speed. And so the dad had tears at that point because he realized for the first time the opportunity that his three children were going to have in his home uh, to, to access their teachers, to complete their schoolwork, to do assignments, to submit things, to collaborate, to create, et cetera. Um, and so that the, our relationship with, with SpaceX has been sig a significant uh, transformation for many of the families in our community that never had uh, internet options before. And, and the way that um, philanth our philanthropic community was quick to jump on the opportunity to help fund uh, this scenario. In fact, over the last two and a half years, we've received almost $53 million worth of philanthropic supports in our school district to, to fund strategic initiatives. Um, our philanthropic community across the country is very interested in education. So when we have innovative ideas that are creative, that absolutely make a difference in the lives of children and families, money is available for those things. And we're proof of that. You know, 53 million for a district our size in just two and a half years is, uh, is pretty amazing. And so SpaceX Starlink is one of those great miracles, if you will, that has happened for families in our organization. And that is going to change that family and those families that are finally getting connected for generations to come. Um, it's really, really exciting. Um, so, so I think the final takeaway is think big right now, act big, ask big. Um, what would be your final words of wisdom as we're hopefully transitioning into this post-pandemic world of uh, the things we need to take with us, the things we can do right now to really make an impact in the next uh, year to a couple of years in, in our districts? Yeah, so big, bold, and brave. You know, I, I, we, we have to be in, in education. Uh, now is the time to, to seize the moment. We, you know, a wise individual once told me never, never waste a good crisis. And the pandemic has been a crisis for public education. Um, and so this is our time not to cower and, and, and hide, but it is our time to think differently and to be bold with our actions, be brave in the steps that we take, and certainly think big. It's a time for innovation and creativity to reign. Um, the resources that we need are available. Uh, again, whether it's federal ESSER money or uh, the philanthropic community that, that is very generous in our own state and in our nation, um, just your own local community, whatever the resource, the resources are available. Um, if the ideas are big and bold enough to create the type of change that needs to happen in our school systems. But our kids today are dependent upon us to take action. 
And so we have a moral and ethical responsibility to take action on behalf of the children that we serve. Um, never have they been more deserving or in need uh, than they are today. And if we do that, hopefully we'll create a better future post-pandemic than even these students may have had before because back to acceleration, we have accelerated so many of uh, these technologies and these uh, these ways of thinking. And so again, that's why we do this show. Scott, thank you so much for your time today and sharing all of the, the great work and really under the hood a little bit of the strategies. To my audience, again, check out the show notes and make sure that you uh, look at some of the documentation that Exeter County ISD has put together, Scott and his team. Um, it really is uh, practical and exciting stuff. And um, we, we can't wait to share with all of you. Uh, Scott, thanks again for joining us today. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Great. And to my audience, thank you again for joining another episode of Accelerating Texas K-12 Education. Uh, be sure to check out past episodes on our website or anywhere you consume your podcast. Uh, be sure to uh, uh, share this episode with any administrators and educators that you know to get the word out. And remember to always, always keep learning. <laughs>